Hi, guys. Welcome back to What's on Your Mind. I'm here today with Shermin Cruz, a negotiation consultant specializing in weaponizing empathy and stoicism. She's also a law professor at Northwestern School of Law, teaching complex negotiation, global transactions, and leadership. Cher is also a TEDx producer who has produced more than 50 TED and TEDx talks and a thought leader with a long history of civic engagement. Shermin is also the author of the critically acclaimed best-selling novel, Butterfly Stitching, inspired by the true experiences of her and her family in Iran before the revolution and after the revolution. Prior to this, Cher was a partner at a law firm of Barack Ferrazano, where she represented international and Fortune 500 companies for 17 years. Cher, thank you so much for being here. Why don't you say hi? I'm so excited to be here. I'm so excited to be here. So, so basically, um, we had a pre-call. No. We had a pre-call. And during our pre-call, which I had to take from my car on the side of the road, because I had to take my kids or pick them up or something. You were picking them up, yeah. Yeah, art class. I don't remember. Taekwondo. It was, something. It, was it, it was art or singing? It was art. You know what? It was art. It was art class. Art. I, I have four kids. I have a lot of kids. So um, so we had this pre-call and we totally bonded on our mutual love of hot cocoa. And so we decided to have today's call with hot cocoa. We're having hot cocoa. And I just want you guys to know that I brought my whipped cream. And so, and, and I, I had some, oh, oh, look at that. And my candy cane spoon. <laughs> candy spoon. <laughs> I love it. All right. I'm going to whip. I'm going to whip because I ran out of whip. Oh my God. Whip melted. Yeah. The whip melted. I know it's, it's, it's a lovely, gorgeous tragedy. It's like when whip melts and then all the sweetness goes into your hot cocoa. <laughs> That's how you know the hot cocoa is good. Yeah. When yes. the whipped cream melts. That is you know what? That is you're wise beyond your years. <laughs> You've been told that. <laughs> At least when it comes to cocoa and maybe some Bollywood dancing. You know what? Let's we're gonna start with this. Let's start with you telling us what you do and all of your adventures. Let's start let's start there. All of my adventures? Okay, so you guys have to realize I'm a lot older than you, which means I've had decades of life more than you have to live adventures. So there is a lot of adventures. So basically, as you and I said, I was born in Iran and I moved to actually Canada when I was 11. And at that time, right at the time that we were moving, it was at the height of the war between Iran and Iraq. In the 80s, there was a, there was a war between Iran and Iraq. About a million people died. So it was actually very similar to what the Ukrainian people are experiencing right now. There was up to six rocket attacks a day into our cities. And we were sort of in bomb shelters, most of fourth and fifth grade didn't get a lot of great education during that time period. And then it was also post-revolution. And so the morality police was in full guard in Iran. You had to cover your hair and you couldn't run if you were female and all these other restrictions against alcohol and um, dance and certain types of music and certain types of singing, et cetera. So that was a, a challenging time. And when we moved, you know, that's when I learned that it's not just brutal governments that take our power away, that being minority, being a person of color, being female, being an immigrant, honestly, even just being young, takes your power away. 
You know, I don't know how many of you feel like sometimes you're much smarter than a lot of the other adults in the room, but nobody takes you seriously just because of your age, right? Mm -hmm. And the same thing can happen because of your race, your gender, your immigration status, and God help you if those things combine, because then nobody takes you seriously, no matter how smart you are. And so, you know, I decided to just dedicate my life to increasing my power in this world. And I've always been a person who cared a lot about ethics. And I've never been a person who wanted to deal with things using force. So I did it my own way. I did it using empathy and stoicism. Initially, that led me to study neuropsychology and philosophy with an emphasis on logic and argument. Then I went to law school. I became a litigator. So I fought with people for a living, which is super fun, by the way. And I did that for about 17 years. And then I retired from the law and started to teach. During that time, I started a bunch of charities. I traveled to a bunch of countries. I wrote a few books. But when I retired from the law, I decided to really just live in the world of ideas. So now I teach, I produce TED Talks, and I write. And a lot of my work has to do around this area of empathy and, and stoicism as well. And just sort of trying to teach other people how to gain power in their life using these methods. So that's me in a nutshell. I mean, the most important thing about me is my kids. I have four kids and they're super weird and cool, funny. They're awesome. Well, thank you. You know, they are on most days. Sometimes, you know, they suck the life out of me like a leech. But I will tell you, honestly, I think my obviously everybody thinks their kids are the coolest kids because they're your kids. But my kids actually are the coolest kids. So I'm just saying. I have to agree with that. You know, I think it is important to acknowledge here how your 11-year-old daughter wrote a book. <laughs> the first novel, I know. Mm-hmm. Yep. And, my, and her twin brother, my son, who is severely dyslexic, so he can't access two-dimensional yes. text. I don't know if any of you guys out there are dyslexic, but the cool thing about dyslexic brains is they try to see everything in 3D even things that are in 2D. That's awesome. That's amazing. It's it's really cool. You know, it's really cool. A lot of dyslexics go on to become architects, artists, graphic designers. A lot of CEOs are dyslexic. You know, people think of it as a disability. And yes, in the context of an educational system that's catered to, you know, neuronormal people, you can't do the work the same way. You have to access the work differently. However, it's truly a gift. So anyway, Pierce is like a chess prodigy. He just sees the, I mean, he sees the, I mean, he couldn't read this bill, but he sees the board and he's, he is one of the most creative people I've ever met. Constantly telling stories, writing stories. I know he's so cool. He's so cool. And then I have two more after those two. (laughs) Oh my God, kids. But you know what? It's so fun and it's so interesting to see them grow up because you see their minds morph and their interests change and their little heads grow and you're like, wow, there's ideas in your head. You can think about things. You write things. It's it's kind of it's really cool, especially like at that age, the developing age between I feel seven and 12 13 where like where it becomes wow you are growing into a person and you have you know i don't know this great voice and this great impact and you don't know what you're going to do someday but it's going to be great like 100 i will tell you though i think teenagers are so cool because 13 to 18 developmentally during this time period you're supposed to figure out who you are <coughs> in this world yeah. And the primary way you do that is by distinguishing yourself from what the 
authority figures around you have been telling you what you are up until now. Yes. So that could be rejecting your parents or their opinions or ideas. It could be rejecting your faith or, you know, the tenants. It could be, you know, not loving your teachers the way you used to when you were in kindergarten. The cool thing about this is if you have access to the mind of a teen, like if you've ever been in a brainstorming session, it just doesn't help if everybody agrees. It's so much more helpful if you've got people playing devil's advocate, if you've got people challenging assumptions, if you've got people saying, yes, but what about this, right? And so, yes, and who's really good at this skill set is teens. They're really smart. And because developmentally they're going through this phase, they look for the holes, the flaws, and they find them. And in my opinion, that makes everyone smarter and better at what it is that they do. And it really contributes to the world of ideas. That's why you have teenagers innovating. As long as you give the power to do that, more than anyone else. But my point is, if you give the food to the teenage brain, it just goes like that. It just goes one thing after another. What if we take this and find with this? What if we reverse this? What if we don't like that? Then how about we do it like this? And there's this amazing world of ideas that just comes out that just you know, refined or polished. They're young. They haven't tested things out yet. But I wouldn't have come up with that because I'm used to things being the way they are. Right. Yeah. yeah. <clears throat> and I think when you think about teens growing up and, you know, the sense of maturity that a lot of teenagers tend to have these days, right? It it's interesting to see how that balance occurs where you still have the mind of a child and you try to nurture that. At least I try to nurture that because I know that the second that that vanishes, in a sense, your creativity and your ability to dream and innovate and keep creating a new depreciates. Exactly right. I mean, we stop we just don't develop those neurons the same way as adults as you all do as teens. And, you know, I don't know about being a child, you're a young adult, you know, you're not really a child anymore, not quite fully formed yet. But it's that magic space in between. I mean, there's a lot of awkwardness that comes with it. But there's also all these incredible, amazing things that come with it, too, you know, right? Love it. I love it. Especially your generation. You guys grew up with social media. You're watching school shootings as they unfold live. I mean, the amount of exposure you have to the real world is unlike anything that past generations had. And you need to learn how to adapt to that in a way that we didn't have to when we were your age. So we don't really you don't really understand how sophisticated you guys are. You kind of have to explain it to us, you know? <laughs> and, and in a way, we're, we're just living in such a different world, right? Because the, I mean, forget just school shootings, just mass shootings. I think there's there's been, I don't remember ex- the exact statistic, but it was something around 34 mass shootings in 2023. Mind you, 2020, it's January 26th. That's more than one shooting a day. It's a different world. Unreasonable to think that the world is going to stay the same. So adapting to those times and much like you had to do in Iran, right? Before moving, there was a lot of adversity and a lot of 
change happening in your world that you had to learn to adapt to. No, it's true. The trick is forming those adaptive skills and learning how to build the armor that's going to keep you safe psychologically as you move through these encounters while still leaving your heart open for beauty and love and good things, you know, leaving that little bit of vulnerability still there, but yeah. keeping on. And it's, it's, you know, I, I think it's really hard to find that balance. It is. It is. Yeah. Yeah. What is the balance for you? Have you found? Yeah. So that is exactly stoic empathy for me. Mm. So, okay. So let's talk about stoicism and empathy because this yes, is you guys, this is my jam right now i get so excited when i talk about this so empathy is ultimately awareness of the thoughts and feelings of the people around you mm -hmm. while stoicism is your control over your own feelings so empathic understanding of the people around you this which by the way is a skill set that can be taught although some people are better at it than others but then using that skill to increase your influence in a situation that requires you to maintain control over your own emotions. And this means how you feel things and also how you express those feelings. Mm. That is stoic empathy. And, you know, everyone has done this. Everyone has done this. Like, think of a time when you learned some really bad or even like traumatic news, but you were in a situation where you couldn't react the way you wanted to. Maybe there were tiny little kids around or you were just someplace where you didn't have the freedom to lose control. Because mm -hmm. if, you, if you did that, it would make the situation worse or it would traumatize the people around you. Mm -hmm. And then knowing that because of empathy, because of your awareness of the situation and the people around you, you controlled your feelings and your reaction and you essentially like froze time to process the situation mm -hmm. right or stay calm or leave the room or just found a way to react without harming others so it's that that's the process training yourself <coughs> to be really good at that mm -hmm. and then mastering it and extending it to like all your relationships and then using it to benefit yourself and increase yeah. your power in life so for those who kind of struggle with, uh, you know, I guess this could even tie into social anxiety in a certain lens where people don't necessarily know how to use their emotions as um, a vessel for the relationships that they're building or the interactions that they're having, whatever it have you. So how, how can we train ourselves to develop that skill? Oh, I would love to talk to you about that. I don't know how much detail you want to get in here. But Let's get into it. I mean, but okay. So the, there's about, there's five aspects to any emotion. There's a cognitive process. This is like your attention, memory, perception. So for example, you're feeling anxious. So your attention is more easily drawn to negative or threatening information. Um, then there's the neurophysiological aspect of an emotion. And this is because emotions come along with changes in the physiological system in your nervous and cardiovascular systems. Like your heart rate might go up or go down. Your blood pressure might go up or go down. Your muscle tension, your sweating, right? Your perspiration. Then the third factor of an emotion. So we think of emotion. Oh, I feel sad. But like, look, when you break it down, there's all these things. The third factor is behavioral expression. So like your facial expression, right? I'm angry, right? Or I'm sad, you know, or whatever it is. 
Then there is the fourth factor, the motivational or action tendency. So like if you're fearful, you might flee. Um, if you're happy, you might make a decision with a more optimistic outcome in mind. Or if you're ambitious, you can sort of be put in this drive state, which motivates you to pursue a goal. And these are all like action tendencies that come along with an emotion. And then ultimately, there's the thing that people talk about, the subjective feeling, right? And that is your conscious awareness of the emotion. Like I'm sad right now, right? Or the sensation of the emotion. Like I get hot when I'm angry, mm. right? Or the intensity of the emotion. So the reality is if you really think about what emotions are and how your body processes them, then you start looking at all the ways in there in which you could influence how you experience that emotion. And it's not, we're not right now even talking about how we express our emotion, right? Because you could be incredibly sad and devastated, but decide that you were going to act normal. That's the expression of your emotion. But right now we're talking about actually what you feel. So, you know, think about, for example, if you just take any one of these factors, like let's take the behavioral expression, the facial expression of an emotion. You're sad. So you, you know, you're kind of like frowning or you're angry. So you're burrowing your brows. Have you ever tried just, I mean, I, this sounds like I'm being weirdly optimistic, but smiling. Impact does a smile have on your body? Does it make you feel happier? And the reality is it's not that merely smiling will make you happy, but it is one component of how you experience emotion, one of five. And so it is impactful. And they've done studies on this where they've actually, you know, had people smile and had people frown and then asked them to rank their emotional tendency before they smiled or before they frowned and afterwards. And people do tend to feel happier just because they smile. Even looking at someone who's smiling, even like, have you ever just been with someone who's laughing? Yeah. And you you just, those are the mirror neurons in your brain. You just can't <clears throat> have a laugh or smile, you know, even if there's something difficult going on. So that's just like one example of how understanding the way emotions work can help you find these ways. Or another one is um, uh, the neurophysiological. So this is changes to your nervous system or your cardiovascular system, like your heart rate. And you're saying, Cher, how do I control my heart rate? And I tell you, this is why we do deep breathing when we're anxious mm -hmm. or when we're angry, because we are literally changing our heart rate and our blood pressure. This is why we meditate, because we are changing our muscle tension when we meditate. So when you think about like the tools that maybe you've used past to help yourself cope with emotions, and then see them within the context of like your emotional system, they all make so much sense. So I just super got into all that and love talking about it. And we haven't even started talking about stoicism and stoic methodology, which right. <laughs> jam. you know what that is also my jam ryan holiday is one of my favorite youtubers i know that's like on a very basic level but just <laughs> it out there i love it i was thinking uh, more like aristotle and marcus aurelius and seneca but ryan holiday <laughs> he <laughs> is the one who introduced me to seneca marcus aurelius plato okay. aristotle so i'm gonna sound so old now who is Ryan Holiday? <laughs> so he is, you should check him out if you want a daily I'm going to. Yeah, of okay. stoicism and of just reminders and those kinds of things. He's your go-to guy. He has a newsletter that he sends out 
every day and it's like daily stoic message and it's fully stoic so it's like the the readings and the traditions of yeah like Marcus I love that very very cool like it's 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 awesome and it you start your day right what I did was I had it sent to another email so it was separate from all of like the rest of you know the blah blah and whatever yeah that's isolated and starred every day so you could focus on it yeah very cool very cool so tell me what so tell me what do you do what are some what are some I mean I would love to tell you some of the stoicism tools that I use yes you too like what do you do do you have any tricks up your sleeve the biggest trick I use is depending it depends on the day it depends on what is set out for the day especially but I have my I have my morning and I have my evening and then everything that comes in the middle has to be handled and you know what there's going to be bumps in the road but it's just it's honestly just the mentality it's the bounce back it's the there's going to be punches there's just keep going and you know what try and breathe in the process and have a smile on your face because each situation is independent of others especially with the way the world is so treat every situation on its own and smile I love that. What you identified were actually two concrete tools. Breathing will impact your heart rate and mm-hmm. smiling will impact the neurofeedback you receive on right. your emotions. So, you know, there are, it's just, they come naturally to you. You don't think of them as tools, but there are these tools. So what the, what the Stoics talk about is how to train yourself to better embrace discomfort. Right? Yes. So you know what Silicon Valley tech executives do? They do ice baths. Yep. I mean, I know that sounds crazy, but it's it's a minute or two minutes or three minutes of being in an ice bath. And it is just learning to be at one with the discomfort and tr- literally training yourself through repeated exposure. It's a, it's literally like, keep your eye on the ball. Well, how do I keep my eye on the ball? You need the ball 5,000 times for me to catch it and just train, do it over and over and over again. Yep. Which leads to another really great tool that Stoics use. This is called habituation. And it's like an example of Stoic courage. And this is literally, you have a fear of heights. Okay. Gradually okay, okay. expose yourself. Pardon yeah. No, I was just going to say, go stand up there. Like, Go stand up there. And you don't need to go all the way up there. Take it one step at a time, right? Today, I'm going to go up to this level. But tomorrow, tomorrow, I'm going to try this level. You know, because maybe in two years, I'll be at the level that I want to be. And maybe it will take two years. Yeah. You know, maybe maybe it'll take two months. Maybe, maybe I'll never get exactly to where I want to be, but I will improve my tolerance will improve because I have habitually exposed myself to this negative stimuli so that my body has gotten used to it, right? Yeah. Uh, Exactly. Yeah. Yoga is a great, great tool. Great tool. Yeah. And I think it's also giving yourself the space and removing some of the pressure to give yourself the room to take the time that you need to overcome these just uncomfortable situations and or the way you feel handle those emotions and those uncomfortable situations because the reality is it's not going to be easy you know and to each his own with the situation but you know it's not going to be easy so with that in mind 
how do you do you put yourself in discomfort what what's your process your stoic daily philosophy if you will i appreciate that i mean it's I do a lot. So the, the more advanced tools of stoicism are cognitive reappraisal and death acceptance. I do a lot of that, yeah. which I'll talk about yep. in a minute. But, but yeah, but for me, I, I sort of organize my life in a way that requires me to embrace discomfort every day. Like yep. I have a lot of kids and some animals in the house that I constantly have to juggle with 50 million other things. Or I live in Chicago where right now it's snowing outside and cold and, Maybe I'm not as good at ice bath, but I do have to take the dog for a walk a few times a day in the freezing, snowy, cold weather, right? You live in New York, probably same thing. So there are ways that you could sort of trickle these things. And then there's what you talked about earlier, deep breathing, yoga, meditation, learning how to focus your mind and how to control your bodily rhythms are a big aspect to that. And then there is this idea of, just because something is hard, or even just because I'm going to fail at it, doesn't mean I'm not going to try to do it. Yeah. So, you know, I love that. And I think that I I try to go over that with my kids. My husband's so good at this too. Often when we're sitting at dinner, we do a gratitude practice. Oh, I love that. Yeah. Yeah. We have a gratitude cube and each person can choose a side. Like one side might say, how did you make your friend happy today? And another one might say, did you laugh out loud today? And then you share the incident. That's so precious. I love it too. It's so great. It's such a great way of focusing on the day. And then what my husband and I like to add, which is not on the cube, is how'd you fail at something today? Like, let's celebrate. Like, let's celebrate your failure. Because if you failed at something, it means you tried something that was hard for you. Mm -hmm. And that's actually not even real failure, right? That's just it's like going up those steps, right? It's just one step toward whatever goal it is you want to achieve. Yeah. yeah. And in many ways, I know I had talked about the deep breathing and everything too, but going back to that aspect and, you know, sitting with your failures, I think, I I mean, I do it every night. I feel it's a must for Mm. just going across life trying to better yourself right 100 percent. and then there's this other tool that you've all used and it's it's called cognitive distraction it's like i'm having a really bad day so i'm just going to make myself a big cup of hot cocoa or i'm going to watch my favorite movie or i'm going to go um shoot around a golf like whatever it is that distracts you that takes you out of that funk and puts you in a positive face Mm -hmm. something that isn't harmful right definitely not like I'm gonna dull my senses by resorting to narcotics but rather I'm just gonna distract myself through this other activity that I really enjoy and that is also great coping method I mean again if, if the activity you choose is healthy for you and positive for you it's right. not a problem to be distracted no. it, maybe that's what you need in that moment you do eventually have to deal with your emotions yeah but in that moment that might be what you need yeah yeah totally and I think we sometimes can demonize the idea of distraction it's tended to have a little bit of a negative connotation but I think in reality sometimes 
you know, focus is great, but sometimes we need to divert a little bit to get back to optimal focus. You know what I mean? And it, it, I think it can become challenging too, to really step away. My favorite distraction is an act of service because if your distraction is an act of service, Mm. whether it's cooking at a homeless shelter or shoveling the snow so your dad doesn't have to, or just taking soup to the neighbor's house or baking some cookies for your best friend at school, whatever it might be. It's a distraction off of you and onto someone else. It is such a value-based distraction, right? It's not a destructive distraction and it helps make the world a better place. So now you have realigned your priorities as a result of your distraction. And yeah, so when you come back to it, just things don't seem as bad as they were before. You know, just at this homeless shelter, you know, or just like being outside shoveling the snow, it's hard, but it also kind of invigorating. It does, yeah. Living your life in a way that isn't completely hustle culture. I think we often like, it, it can get into, you know, one road hustle culture mentality, but living in a way that's not based on hustle culture can actually benefit or it can help your own emotions and feelings on the way you go about your life too. 100%. Mm. And, and, you know, live a life that's true to your values right. so that you don't spend your whole life obsessing over whatever it is that's wrong in your life, but focusing on how you can make things better. Right. And it's always, it's always a wonderful way to live positive it's effective yeah for sure it is it is so tell us some of the other mantras you may have when it comes to not necessarily even you know empathy and stoicism but just generally oh generally okay so my general favorite quote both both. you can tell us both okay 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 so my general favorite quote is embrace the chaos embrace the chaos because i just I find that life can offer so much if we're not afraid of complexity, if we're not afraid of juggling this with that. And that includes your internal chaos. It includes the chaos of your own feelings. Because, you know, sometimes you're so overwhelmed with your emotions that you're doing things. It almost feels like you're outside of yourself and you're watching yourself do something because feels like you're not in control, you know, and then you hate not hating on yourself for doing that, you know, and you shouldn't, you shouldn't, you should just say, Hey, look, there's chaos going on inside of me right now. And or there might be chaos going on around you. And I don't mean destructive chaos. I don't mean, you know, there's violence around you. I'm talking about, it's loud, and it's busy. And my sister's doing her homework. And my brother's, you know, fighting with my mom. And you know, whatever it is, my dad is on a phone call. And why can't you people just leave me? alone? <laughs> That's the kind of chaos I mean. And that kind of chaos, again, can be internally too. your mind is focused on this, but your heart is on this. And you're anxious about this. And, you know, maybe there's this thing going on with you physiologically, or with your body or with your face or with acne or whatever it is. And there's just a lot and it's overwhelming. And then you get angry with yourself for not being able to manage it. But if you just say, you know what, this is my chaos, 
and try to see the beauty. My brother is healthy and challenging my mom for once, so I don't have to do it. Right? <laughs> you go, you win that fight, bro. Or my dad's on a phone call for work so that he can pay for this house and he can pay our mortgage or our rent or, you know, whatever it is, or, or your own internal chaos, you know, yeah. focus about my face because there's something I don't like, simple, whatever it might be. Um, but you think about my face, like, how can I reframe that? A, it's okay. I'm allowed to be upset about this. And B, look at these other amazing things about my face that I love. Like look at the shape of my eyebrows or how plump my lips are or how cute my ears are. Or even like um, I like to paint. So I pay attention to the the line of the jaw or how the neck meets the shoulder and just all of the beautiful things that exist in the human body that you can observe in yourself. Just kind of reminding yourself, yeah, 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 yeah. And my heart is in turmoil because I care about things, because I'm passionate, because I'm interesting, you know? My mind is on the subject because I want to succeed. I am yeah. motivated. Yes, yes. That's why I'm anxious about this test, because it's I right. care. And caring is good. So there's all these ways of just, like, reframing it, and suddenly you found yourself again. Mm. Suddenly you're back to that stuff. The pimple didn't go away. You know, the test is still around the corner. Um, you know, your heart's still in pieces, but you found yourself again in that moment, in that embracing of your chaos. I think it's restructuring the little things that bother us to change it to things that actually help us. And things in the context of ourselves, that's how we make ourselves feel better, right? And sometimes it's a real trauma or real tragedy you're dealing yeah. with. Yes. And sadly, you know, in those moments, you also just need to be at one with the impacts of that, you know, mm-hmm. and feeling that injury and kind of rem- reminding yourself that, you know what, I am injured. Mm-hmm. And so I need to cut myself some slack with right. respect to this or give myself the space to heal or ask for help or whatever it might be that comes along with that. Like when we talk about this, we don't mean ignore the pain. We mean if you can convert pain to purpose, if you can convert pain to purpose, mm. it doesn't mean you were entitled to pain. It doesn't mean not feeling it. It just means you have redefined that experience. And so now as a result of that pain, you can grow in ways that you couldn't have before. I love that. I love that. So what would be some stoic and empathetic because we're talking a lot here i feel about empathy towards ourselves right yeah Yeah. what what are some stoic ways that we can handle such situations yeah yeah so we talked about all those tools earlier and then what we just talked about now the technical word for it the technical phrase for it is cognitive reappraisal So this is actively changing your cognitive perception of a situation to focus on the positive aspects or turning them into purpose. But one thing I really want to talk to you guys about is death acceptance. So death acceptance is this big part of stoicism. And this is the constant reminder, not that you're dying. Okay, This is the constant reminder that you're not dead yet. 
okay? Mm -hmm. And you're not dead yet. And if you were to die, okay, let's say tomorrow or a year from now, right? And someone were writing your obituary, what would they say about you? Yeah. What would they say? I mean, they wouldn't say, they wouldn't say she won that Facebook fight with that guy over the vaccine man. Right. They wouldn't say, what would they say? What matters to you about how you lived this life? And then I actually, I actually write my own obituary every year on my birthday. I actually sit down wow. and I write, I write it. It's, it's, it sounds so morbid, but it's really not. It's no, actually it's not. Very, yeah, no, I'm actually, I'm practically a teenager. I think I'm going to live forever. I have like no death complex at all. I just, I'm never going to die. But I want to constantly, because like you get sucked into the stupid things. You get sucked into them all the time. The little things, the little, yeah. little things. Exactly. Like, I don't know how many of you are drivers, but like you're driving um, and somebody cuts in front of you or there's traffic and you're late or like stupid little things like that. And you get angry. And it, it for that second, you're not just slightly peeved, right? <laughs> for that second, you're like, oh, <laughs> So this, and it's totally fine. It's totally normal. The reason we do death acceptance is just like that reminder, right? If I were to die, should I be spending my time and energy on this? I mean, there's some of that is going to happen, right? I'm not saying that you should hate yourself for feeling that. I'm just saying, just realign. Try to think of death acceptance. You will die, but you're not dead yet. This is still your life. Yes. These 10 minutes between now and the time you get to your destination, this is your life. And your mind, which is how you experience the entire world, is yours for those 10 minutes. How do you want to use it? And it's exactly, it's about how you show up to those things, right? Yes, I love that. Yes. Yeah, Yeah, because, you know, yeah, you got stuck in traffic. Are going to be like, "Ah, there's there's a couple ways you can handle it. Now, how are you going to do that? It's not stopping and stopping your life because of one little thing. It's not... For sure. And if you happen to freak out at traffic or at your kid's sister for taking your shirt without your permission or at your mom for not letting you do something, whatever it is, it's okay, man. It's okay because today's okay. another today's another day, tomorrow's another day. Right. And don't spend any time because you also don't want to say in your obituary, she spent all her time worrying about her past conduct. Like that is correct. <laughs> so this is actually a lot of what Ryan Holiday talks about. He actually, there's a coin that I'm, I'll send it to you. It's called, it's a memento mori coin that he holds in his pocket every day and he looks at it every day. So similar to what you do with your obituary. I mean, that's what's a year. He has it in his pocket, but I'll send you the coin. It, it's just Um, memento mori for those who don't know. Do you want to do the honors? and say the meaning of it, or would you rather I do? Take it away, take it away. Okay, okay. A lot so memento mori is literally, it translates into remember that you have to die. Yep. <laughs> so dark, <laughs> but it's actually not. It's not. And, and actually memento mori is some sort of like artistic symbol that is your reminder of that. Remember right. that you have to die. So it sounds right. like the decides a point. For you, it could be a coin. It could be like anything. It could be um, a particular pencil. It could be a scar that you have on your face or on your arm. Um, it could or be anything. anything. It could be anything. It could yeah. be anything. Yeah, for sure. 
So I want to be respectful of your time, but I'm going to ask you one quick question because yeah, we didn't get to touch on this at all. How did your childhood in Iran kind of influence your work today? And what do you think though? What did you, what did you learn from that time? Yeah. What were the biggest takeaways, lessons? I really appreciate you asking that. So here's the thing. So first of all, please, because every click and like and comment counts, feel free to watch my TEDx talk. Yes. Because yes. I do go into that during that time. Yeah. You know, I, will t- I will tell you what I don't say in the TED talk is that in my childhood, no matter what was going on, I actually, I had, I had something in my life that was safe and that was my family. So for me, I was lucky really lucky because I know a lot of people who didn't have to go through a war, who didn't have to go through a revolution, who didn't have to go through morality police. They didn't have that in their life. Mm -hmm. And so if you got that right now, you know, that's, that's going to impact you in the future in ways you can't even predict right now. And if you don't have that, ask for help because not having that attachment to something or someone that you can fully trust is going to keep you safe is really going to be hard for you as you as you get older it's really going to mark you i'm sure it's hard for you now mm-hmm. for me the challenges that i had honestly they feel like a blur they feel a little bit like a dream they don't feel like the way trauma impacts the brain is so permanent mm. but i live a life of joy and gratitude you know i don't chase happiness in the form of pleasure but I experience joy and purpose every day and I think a lot of that is because of the hardships I've had and you know no matter what hardship you guys are going through right now the reality is that you know life is like a vessel something can't be filled unless it's been emptied and sometimes the things that empty you leave that space for you to get filled with something more beautiful than you ever thought possible just as you put that armor on in the morning leave the space for that leave the space you know because it's hard it's hard to go out into the world after you've been harmed and to trust again but if you don't you know you really do start to wither away and um and lose yourself so again be careful out there it's a rough world <laughs> out there but leave that little space leave that little twinkle because it can happen to anyone it can happen for anyone anyone can heal anyone can grow anyone can find joy yeah i would love to go into it more but you touched on a lot there and i think that is a great way to end the episode thank you thank you this was so fun you guys if you need to reach me the best places are sharemingcruise.com which is my website you can also buy a master class there for tactical empathy which is the same material i teach to law students and you can also find me on linkedin it's probably the best place to find me sharing cruise look me up I will get back to you. I hope you guys enjoyed today's episode and shared. Thank you so, so much for coming on and sharing your wisdom. It was so beyond helpful. And I know that everyone, including myself, thoroughly enjoyed it. I hope you guys have an amazing day and I will see you all next week for another episode. Bye.